My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. air contaminants and pollution. In Shelburne, it looks like a first-generation landfill being placed within the Black community. And quite frankly, this happens to too many communities. So when you look at Lincolnville, Africville, we have all these communities that are suffering the same thing. And what happens is the repercussions that folks are experiencing is That's detrimental the voice of to Vanessa our life Hartley, and our Today's home. guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Vanessa Hartley is 21 years old and an eighth-generation Black Loyalist descendant. She's the chair of the South End Environmental Injustice Society, or SEED, and she is a resident of Shelburne, a town of about 1,200 people on the southwest coast of Nova Scotia. Shelburne has a long history. After the U.S. War of Independence, many Loyalists, meaning people who fought on the British side, resettled in other areas of British North America. This included people of African descent, who largely had been enslaved, but were recognized by the British as free as an element of the war effort. Many of these black Loyalists settled in the Shelburne area, particularly in nearby Birchtown, which for a period of time was the largest settlement of free black people in North America, but many working and living in Shelburne itself. In July 1784, Shelburne and Birchtown became the site of Canada's, and perhaps North America's, first race riot, as white residents attacked black residents and burned down their homes. The land grants given to black people were generally fewer, smaller, and lower in quality than those given to white people. Across Nova Scotia, authorities enforced residential segregation, with black people made to live in entirely separate towns or in separate neighborhoods. And over time, noxious, harmful, and polluting land uses tended to be disproportionately placed in or next to black communities, as well as Mi'kmaq communities. This means that African Nova Scotians are disproportionately exposed to pollutants, a pattern known as environmental racism. In the 1950s, a dump was built very close to homes in the black community in Shelburne's South End. The dump's contents included industrial and medical wastes, and in earlier years, those managing it regularly set its contents on fire. Around the time that the dump closed in 2016, Shelburne resident Louise DeLille founded Seed. South End residents had noticed what seemed to be oil leaking from barrels in the dump, and they came together to demand something be done about it, particularly given that many of them got their drinking water from wells. The leaking barrels were eventually dealt with, but the larger problem of the dump remains. In 2018, Seed and various partner organizations got funding to test the water in the wells. Most came back as unsafe to drink. While Seed and its partners have worked very hard to ensure South End residents have safe drinking water, there are still some that do not. Hartley has been involved in the group for the last year or so. DeLille asked her to join after Hartley was part of organizing a local Black Lives Matter march in Shelburne. She had never heard of environmental racism before, but once she learned about it, she said, quote, There was a fire that just lit me up, end quote. 
A central part of the group's work continues to be related to the dump and to water quality for residents in the South End. They continue to raise money to install filtration systems in the remaining wells. Also, they've been part of a protracted, frustrating process with the town. In 2019, Halifax-born actor Elliot Page offered to pay for a new community well in the South End, which the town of Shelburne finally and grudgingly accepted in principle with a number of conditions in February 2020. The concrete details have still not been finalized. Seed's work goes well beyond environmental racism. They're active in liaising with governments and partnering with other organizations to get the needs of Shelburne's black community met. This has included, for instance, working to regionally disperse money from a substantial solidarity fund raised by the Black Lives Matter group in Halifax. In the future, the group hopes to continue to build its organizational capacity, they will be partnering in a new academic study examining disproportionate cancer rates among black residents of Shelburne, and they will be retesting all of the wells in the community this summer to see how things have changed. Ultimately, Seed would like to see full remediation of the dump and reparations for the harms caused. I speak with Hartley about Shelburne, about environmental racism, and about the South End Environmental Injustice Society. My name is Vanessa Hartley. I am an eighth-generation Black Lewis descendant from Shelburne, Nova Scotia, and currently I am also the chairperson for SEED. The South End Environmental Injustice Society, also known as SEED, is a grassroots organization to address environmental racism within Nova Scotia. Shelburne is roughly two hours away from Halifax. We are a very rural aspect of Nova Scotia. So in saying that, we have a really large history that isn't always accessible outside of our town. So what I mean by that is we are the home of the Black Loyalists, the largest site for free Blacks outside of Africa. So this is a very significant point in our history, yet we're not always taught about this. A lot of folks come here to retire. I would say it's very relaxed. I believe the town population is like 1,200. I don't think it's very many. But we are a very tight-knit community that everybody knows everybody, and everybody helps everyone. There's a very great sense of community in Shelburne, for sure. What are the origins of SEED? SEED was developed in late 2015, early 2016 by Louise DeLille. She has really taken SEED and crafted it into what we are today. You know, going from a board of directors that was very small to now having a full operating board We've really seen our vision for SEED grow over the years, and we're very excited to see where that continues to go. What were the initial issues that inspired the founding of SEED? When Louise founded this, it started from a complaint that was filed by community due to concerns of environmental issues that were happening at the landfill site. So there was oil barrels that were leaking oil onto the ground. So this was very concerning for residents. It is, I think, 250 meters from the closest home. It's in a residential area, and it doesn't coincide with the Environmental Act. So it's hazardous. So these group of folks had come together and, you know, brought this to our government, and they actually had come down and did an assessment, inspected it, and they removed, I want to say, 14 tons of contaminated soil off of that site. So this was kind of the start of the conversation. And you said earlier that SEED is focused particularly on environmental racism. What is environmental racism? Environmental racism is a new concept developed in the 1980s. 
It looks at the disproportionate communities and how environmental burdens are typically placed there due to capital or governments that aren't always looking out for communities' best interests. This can look like toxic land facilities being placed within these communities, waste facilities, air contaminants and pollution, so, you know, factories and workshops. In Shelburne, it looks like a first-generation landfill being placed within the Black community in 1950, and it ran until 2016. And quite frankly, this happens to too many communities. So when you look at Lincolnville, Africville, we have all these communities that are suffering the same thing. And what happens is the repercussions that folks are experiencing is detrimental to our life and our overall health. This looks like cancer. It looks like heart disease and stroke. And typically, we see unpotable drinking water in these same communities. And I personally don't think it's a coincidence that we see the landfill, the sickness, and then the dirty water. And paint a picture of the physical layout of things, of the dump and the community. My images go back to 1783 when the Black Loyalists arrived in Shelburne. Tensions grew very quickly. There was a lot of systemic barriers. There's a lot of racism in Shelburne historically. And I believe that the case of environmental racism has come from systemic racism over the years. The first race riot in Shelburne was the first documented race riot to ever happen in North America. And I really do believe that a lot of the struggle and the pain and the trauma that people still experience today in these BIPOC communities come from our history like this. And it's a prime example. So picture the outskirts of Shelburne, very green, very run down. The roads are hardly big enough for two cars. Picture a solid road with houses all along them and a landfill in the back of that. And what that looks like is a huge pile of garbage that is now growing grass. And unfortunately, we have homes around that. And the scary part to me is it's never been properly cleaned. We have sewage lines that run through the town, concerns of improper infrastructure, and we have a lot of illness. And my understanding is that in Nova Scotia, there are examples where historically black and white communities were completely separate and others where they were nominally part of the same town, but physically segregated. Which of those is the case when it comes to Shelburne? I think both. Historically, when Black Loyalists arrived, there was White Loyalists already present, and they had lived amongst the White Loyalists until the race riot, and most folks were relocated to Birchtown or in the South End, so that would be the outskirts where the landfill site is placed. Typically, yeah, when you look at Nova Scotia, I mean, when you look at these Black communities, they're outside of white settlements. And then when you thank Dr. Ingrid Waldron with her amazing work and the map that she has created through the Enrich Project, and you start to see that every Black community has a surrounding landfill facility, things start to pique your interest, start to think, what is going on here, right? What was the decision around this? And that conversation always comes back to me, who was creating these systems then? Were there people that looked like me to stop folks from placing a landfill facility in a Black community? Of course not. You know, we really have to recreate and redesign the wheel in terms of equitable power. Tell me what you can about SEED's activities in the community before you got involved. SEED, in 2018, in partnership with Rural Water Watch and NSCC, did well testing. So they tested 23 wells, and some came back with 
coliform, and then some came back with total coliform and E. coli, and then two came back fine. From here, in partnership with Nova Scotia Housing, folks that were eligible to receive Newell's did. So we, as in SEED, had partnership with these organizations to ensure that there was clean drinking water. There are still folks that don't have access to clean drinking water, and that is a main goal of SEED. We will not stop until it happens. (laughs) And I personally will not stop talking about it until it happens. And, you know, it can be frustrating when, you know, the town of Shelburne is reluctant to address these issues. But the good thing is that the whole world is watching this and this isn't going away. And I hope to say someday that everyone in the South End will have clean drinking water. That is our main priority right now. What inspired you to get involved in SEED? I was approached by Louise. After the Black Lives Matter march, she asked me if I wanted to be a part, and I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was happening in terms of environmental racism in Shelburne. I knew there was a lot of systemic barriers, and, you know, I have faced racism in my own community many of times, but really understanding what was going on was heartbreaking, knowing that my grandmother, my grandfather, and my parents may have gone through this or experienced something that affected their health. I can't help but think they're not here to fight this fight. Someone needs to do it, and I'm not going to stop. What form did your involvement take? At first, um, not a whole lot. It was catching up to speed and seeing what was going on. And then there was a fire that just lit me up, and I knew I needed to do more and push harder and use this energy for seed. And I guess that's kind of just followed me along until today. But yeah, it's been an eye-opening experience personally and professionally. You know, the growth, the people I've met, everything has just been so amazing and hard. (laughs) It gets hard. I mean, even not including Steve, but when you see, you know, the trial of George Floyd go on and you see some success, but then you watch the news and you see another young Black person being taken away, it can be very stressful and hard to almost want to continue to do the work because, you know, you get stuck in this, well, what is it for moment, right? What am I doing this for if it's not affecting anything? But I would say to, you know, anyone that's having those thoughts or is an advocate for this stuff, just keep pushing because you're going to get there. And I have to tell myself that a lot, you know, just keep fighting, keep talking, keep having that conversation because it does matter. And what kinds of activities have you been involved in in your role with SEED? A lot of activities that SEED participates in is a lot of community development engagement pieces. It looks like having conversations at government level, partnering with other organizations. Yeah, really just trying to bring service providers to Shelburne, for sure. What has the engagement with governments piece looked like? Sometimes it can look like even alerting government what environmental racism looks like. This year, there was a really exciting Bill C-230 Uh, And Bill C-230 is the National Strategy to Redress Environmental Racism Act, a private member's bill proposed by Liberal MP Lenore Zan. As of late June 2021, it's between second and third reading. But yes, the conversation with government, it can always be interesting. I've heard some really great things come from community. I just, yeah, it's sometimes a never-ending battle. In terms of seed, when it comes to government, we usually work within the town. So that looks like the town of Shelburne and the town's council. And it's very reluctant. We don't always see the change or the action we want, but we continue to work with them and get some type of relief. You know, 
I don't know if you've watched There's Something in the Water film, but at the end, Elliot Page talks about the donation of funds to create a community well. This was supposed to assist and help folks in the South End and all of Shelburne, honestly, with drought season. So in Shelburne, the summers get very dry and people don't have access to water and they have to go to the middle of town to fill up. And for some folks in the Black community, that's a barrier, right? Finding transportation, lugging home clean water. So what a great way to provide this service, we had thought. So we're still in the, I guess, process and decision making around the community well. And Louise could definitely speak more to that as the community well coordinator. But in terms of government, this is an area that we are lacking in for sure. Nobody wants to have that conversation. What are you asking the town to do in terms of the community well and beyond that? We were asking for the installment of the well. And this was an issue. We are also asking for reparations. We want remediation of the dump. We want it to be finally cleaned up. We want it to be a space that can be given back to the Black community. You know, these things are not hard and they can be done and they need to be done. The site needs to be cleaned. And you said that another part of the work SEED has been doing is partnering with other organizations. What are some of the organizations that you work with? SEED has recently partnered with DPAD, which is the Decade for African People, based out of Halifax with Vanessa Fells and that organization. We also work closely with African Nova Scotian Affairs in our region, Troy Lawrence. I work with the Association of Black Social Workers, the community coordinator for the COVID response team. So that looks like bringing in supports, food insecurities, that kind of work. We recently partnered with the Black Lives Matter Solidarity Fund administrators in Halifax. So we were responsible for dispersing funds into Black communities in our region. So our region ran from Digby all the way to Chester. So we're always on the go. We're always extremely busy and we're always really open and happy to partner with folks and organizations and, you know, just bring those services and those care providers down to our region. Tell me more about the work with the Black Lives Matter Solidarity Fund. The Black Lives Matter Solidarity Fund was a GoFundMe that raised over $300,000, I believe, located in Halifax for a relief fund for Black families. So the response was overwhelming for the administrators, and they decided to then break this into six regions. And in each region, there was going to be an anchor organization. So for six, it was SEED. And from here, we had community meetings where we tried to touch the Black community in our region. So that looked like Weymouth, Digby, Shelburne, Liverpool, Bridgewater, and Mahone Bay, and so forth. This really created a dynamic group of people with so many ideas, and it was a powerful call, that's for sure. And from this call, we all collectively decide on where the money would be spent and what that would look like. Some projects looked like youth engagement, scholarship funds. It looked like assisting the GoFundMe for the clean water initiative for the UV filtration systems. It looked like a barbecue and dance project. Many of things. Sometimes for Black communities that want to engage the community, a huge barrier is access to money. And if you're not a non-for-profit or you don't have that charitable status, it can be hard to apply for grants within the province. So this is a way to provide barrier-free money to folks within our region. And you mentioned African Nova Scotian Affairs, which I presume is a unit in the provincial government. What does that collaboration involve? Most of the time, it just looks like support and assistance from Troy and whatever means that looks like for us. Louise and I also are a part of the regional network. The regional network is also a directive created from ANSA. And what that does is it allows 
communities such as Shelburne and Greenville and other outside folks to come in and have that conversation of what's happening in each Black community. So it's a really great networking strategy in addressing the concerns in each community and bringing those to the table for sure. So from what you've said, one thing that really jumps out at me is the breadth of the work that SEED does beyond just environmental racism. Why is it important that the group does all of these different kinds of things? I think there's a lot of gaps in services in Shelburne because it's so rural. Sometimes we can fall through the cracks. And I think it's important that, yes, our goal is to fight for environmental justice. But I think it's also really important we do more than that. The board, they're all very caring hearts. They're kind, compassionate, empathetic. And I don't think the fight stops at environmental racism for a lot of us. I think a lot of it's personal. And, you know, we can carry a lot of weight and trauma from these experiences in our life that stems from racism. And I think it's just important that we continue to do those fights and it doesn't always stop at environmental. Where are things at right now in terms of the dump and the water quality issues? There are two people in our community that still don't have access to clean drinking water. So that's the main focus of ours. Right now we have a GoFundMe going on. I think we've raised close to $7,000 to install filtration systems to then decrease the bacteria within the well or the water systems. So that's definitely our priority and goal. Developing capacity, I would say, is a huge one for seed. Long term, it looks like, you know, having a home base office. It looks like having folks working and really strengthening what we can do here in Shelburne in terms of water quality and environmental justice, for sure. I was very fearful that this conversation would happen and then die down. But fortunately, it continues to become stronger and stronger and stronger. What's it been like being based in Shelburne, which, as you've said, is quite small and rural, and collaborating with projects and organizations based in Halifax, a a much larger center? I would say COVID does a lot of things. Unfortunately, one of those things has allowed us to work remotely and to explore that avenue. And I think that has helped us a lot in the sense of connecting outside of our own community and engaging with, you know, city organizations and really bringing those down here. Pre-COVID times, I probably would have said, yeah, there is a barrier, but we haven't experienced it, in my opinion. And how has COVID impacted the local side of your work and your ability to, you know, stay connected with folks within Shelburne? Fortunately, Shelburne has had zero to none cases of COVID, which we're very fortunate about. I would say the hardest part of all of this is my, I would say, more major advocacy has started within COVID. And I have actually never met most of the people that I continue to work with. And I brought this up on a Zoom call one day, said, I've actually never met any of you. And it's very shocking because we feel so real and connected that, you know, it's almost like I've met them a hundred times over. So I'm very excited to meet the folks that I've been working with so closely. I understand there is a new research project starting soon, looking at the disproportionate cancer rates among Black residents of Shelburne and other things. So this was created by Dr. Ingrid Waldron and Louise, and also a couple other folks from Dalhousie. That will soon be starting, and we will start to look at and research the landfill site and the history of it to examine the environmental hazards and the contaminants and the leachings that may potentially have come from this landfill facility. So that's really exciting. And I I can't wait to share more about that. And I know Louise is really eager to get this started. And we're all just so happy that we're going to be able to do this work. 
sometimes there's not always the information or the stats in these areas or they're not separated like Canadian health. Is it snapshotted into Black Canadian health? They released a brand new snapshot. That's great, but it needs more information. We need to start looking at all of these things and really collectively coming together to make sure that Black folks have good health and we need good systems to support that. What else that's coming up for SEED are you particularly excited about? I am really, really excited to get the second water test done this summer. I think that's going to be very eye-opening. And I'm excited, but I'm also fearful to see what it's going to contain. But it's necessary. I want to see if we've made any progress in terms of the new wells and how they're going, what state that's at. But yes, I'm sure if last summer was any indication, we'll be on our toes for sure. You alluded earlier in the interview to how hard this work can sometimes be. How do you stay inspired and committed in the face of that? I cannot not do this work. I don't have a choice. I am a young Black woman. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be Black. And at some point in time, if I bring children into this world, I want them to be in a world that is going to support and love them. So my fight is really to make this community a better place and whatever that looks like in terms of racial equality. And I think that goes for a lot of folks, right? We can't afford not to have this conversation. We can't afford to see young Black folks being killed on TV. It's very frustrating and it is very hard, but it's very important. And, you know, I salute those folks out there doing this hard work because we need it. We need to continue to do it and have these uncomfortable conversations all the time. Given all of the different challenges that we've talked about, or at least nodded towards today, that Black residents of Shelburne are facing, what are some of the bigger picture changes that you would like to see in terms of actions that could be taken by the provincial or federal government? I would really like to see proper remediation and reparations for this community and for the other communities that have experienced environmental racism. It's time. It's really, truly time for government and folks to be accountable of these actions. And, you know, we don't expect folks that are in those positions today to apologize. We expect them to want to be accountable for the actions of the ones before them and to create that change and make space for that change. And I think that's really important. Concretely, what would you want remediation and reparations to look like? In terms of remediation, it looks like properly cleaning out the landfill facility. And then it looks like installing a monitor well program to control and monitor the potential hazards that could be leaching into groundwater if they're there. In reparation, it can look like many things. I think personally, for me, it looks like accountability and it looks like accepting that environmental racism is real. And also that Shelburne has a Black community you know, we've had comments before from past mayors that we don't have a Black community in Shelburne. And that's simply just not true. When you look at the founding communities of the Black Loyalist, this is the home of it, right? So I think it's important that we are acknowledged and we are validated in that sense that, yes, we've been here, right? I'm eight generations. I've been here. And I know that, but my town needs to know that. And they need to support that. You have been listening to my interview with Vanessa Hartley of the South End Environmental Injustice Society, or SEED. To learn more about the organization, search for it on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.